Welcome to Jewish Boy Calls His Mother. I'm your host, Sadia, and this is my mother, Ima. Hey, Ima. Hey, my little love. How's my man? I'm doing great. Doing great. Um, this week's topic, we're going to be talking about best years of your life. Because uh, just, mm-hmm. to, just to say, like a lot of times people feel like, you know, when they were in college or when they were in a peak of their careers and different parts. So throughout your life, what would you say would be the best parts of your life? Yeah. <laughs> you know something, um, I think every stage of an individual, unless, unless God forbid you're in a really, really unusually horribly sad situation. Mm-hmm. If you're a normal American kid, you know, being raised in a normal family, of course, then again, normal is normal is subjective. <laughs> yeah. Especially if you're especially if you're an Ashkenazic Jew. Uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> normal normal? Be very subjective. Um, there are ups and downs and good and bad. How can I say it? There's aspects and liabilities of every stage you might say i mean um uh i remember when i was a uh, very little you know like i said being able to be just hiking around um the woods in my um old neighborhood and you know that was a lot of fun being out in the woods a lot when i was a kid with other friends and um then as i got older you know being able to ride my riding my bike I think anybody who uh, lives in an area where they did a lot of bike riding will say that, you know, as they were growing up, just riding your bike was a lot of fun. Just, you know, feeling that wind and, you know, going at that speed. And uh, that's, you know, a lot of, that was a lot of fun. But I'd say most stages of a person's life here in America, um, as a downside, we have, we grow up in this country with a lot of pressures. In school, we're expected to, if you're, if, unless you're a special needs student, if you're of a normal, you know, of neural capacities, you're expected to achieve, you're expected to meet a certain grade, you're expected to, uh, you know, produce. And there's a lot, there was, you know, school, which when I mean, you think about when you're young and you're healthy and you're active, a time in your life that should have really been very, very enjoyable can be filled with a lot of pressure. At that stage, um, do you remember with the movie? Uh, it's a long story. I've never heard of that movie. Okay, watch it sometimes. It's um, it's about a fifteen-year-old boy who he's growing up. I think in Manhattan. I think I think it's Manhattan, and he attends a very high-achieving academic private school and he's one of these high achievers and his father wants him to go to the special summer program for like geniuses or high achievers and he starts to have these horrible feelings of suicide so he goes to one of the hospitals in Manhattan and he just goes right into the emergency room and says listen he says, I need, to, I need to be here. He says, I feel like I'm going to kill myself. Okay. And 
they, of course, they, they admit him to the hospital, but his, unfortunately, his rotten luck is that this, the adolescent unit is now being refurbished and they have to take all their adolescent as patients, psychiatric patients, and now mix them in with the adult population. So of course, uh, he of course he he doesn't he doesn't want to be there. He says, listen, he tells the psychi he tells the psychiatrist that's in charge. Uh, listen, listen, uh, uh, maybe um, maybe I spoke too soon. Uh, maybe I didn't realize what I was saying. Yeah, the yeah. and so she tells him, look, a lot of people have these feelings. She goes, her advice to him was that he they're just going to keep him there for about a week for evaluation. She says, I think it'd be in your best interest to stay here for the week. And while he's there, he meets um, I've. I don't know what the man's name was, but the, the part was played by, um, I forgot his first, Zach, no, Zach Galifakis. Played Zach Galifakis, you mean? Zach, how, how, what's, how do you pronounce his last name? Galifakis. I think that's it. And okay. he, um, they talk to each other and this, this adult man is in a certain way able to help them. He, when he tells him about this high achieving program his father wants him to sign up for, you know, the adult man says to him, what are you doing this for? He says, you should be having fun this summer. You should be going to the beach. You should be, you know, running after girls. You know, you should be having fun. You shouldn't be involved in some high achieving academic program. This is your summer vacation. And so the whole gist of the movie is that the young man, this young boy, um, starts to realize that if, you know, nothing wrong with being a high achiever, but if it's going to put so much pressure on you that you're going to get suicidal, that it is just not worth it, that life is, life is meant to, to be enjoyed. Life is not meant to be a pressure cooker. Um, so, like, I mean, so uh, every stage of my life, I mean, high school, High school, the same thing. Uh, pressure to get us to get into a college. My parents didn't have money for college, and they let me know that um, if I really wanted to go to college, I would have to get very high grades and get a scholarship, which I did. Yeah. Uh, college, college. It was a college. I had a lot of fun in college. I enjoyed the cultural programs. Um, I enjoyed the people I met. I liked the the diversity the, the diversity of students and teachers especially the teachers who were from foreign countries. So very, very interesting to interact and talk to them. And, um, but again, you know, the pressure of, um, you know, getting, getting the degree and, um, but, well, what I liked about Towson was in the performing arts department, the teachers there were very understanding and, very, they were really, they really provided you with a lot of guidance. They didn't, we didn't have the pressure of say like um, the music students from Peabody, like the music students from Peabody. And we, by the way, we did get uh, a music student that transferred from Peabody to Towson because she couldn't stand the pressure that the professors at, uh, at Peabody put her through that, you know, the performing and um, had, it has to be perfect and yada, yada. And the professors at Towson weren't that way. It was they were more willing to work with you and, you know, to help, you know, to help you along the performing 
route and they weren't so, um, like I said, it wasn't a pressure cooker. They really uh, were there to help. Graduating college, um, uh, I enjoyed my trip to Israel. That crazy trip I took to Israel and Switzerland. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> of course, when I first got to Israel, it was like, oh my God, what, what did I do to myself? What did I, what did I, you know, it's like my trip to Barcelona. What did I do to myself? Why am I here? <laughs> Why did I do this to myself? Mommy, bring me home. <laughs> you would just, just when sometimes when you go to a foreign country for the first time, or in my case, you know, uh, first time when I graduated college, and then second time after 40 years of, you know, never having, tra not having traveled like that, uh, it's uh, your first reaction is getting on the first plane out of here <laughs> until you adjust. And once you adjust, it's a lot of fun. So, um, that was a lot of fun. I, um, I enjoyed meeting these students from Yeshiva Hartzion and Shoma Karlbach. And um, of course, as I became from as a result of, of, their, um, of the good influence they had on me and my experience at the Kotel, it was I used to like to get up in the morning and go and uh, daven at the Kotel. And something very strange happened to me when I would go to the Kotel and I would stand right against the wall. I would hear these men singing and beating drums. And I thought it was a group of Hasidim that were davening that way. So I mentioned to somebody once that, oh, I really enjoy going to the Kotel. I like hearing those Hasidim the way they're singing and beating on drums. And this person looked at me and goes, what are you talking about? I said, well, I said, every time I go to the Kotel and I stand like right against the wall, I hear these men singing and I hear these drums beating. And this person starts to think and think, and, she's, and she says, There's, there are no Hasidim there that sing and beat on drums. And I said, but I'm telling you, every time I go to the hotel and I stand against the wall and I touch the wall, I hear this. I'm not going crazy, I actually hear this. So she thought for a minute, she goes, oh my gosh. She says, you were hearing the sounds of the Levium from the base of Mikdash singing. Interesting. Which is Interesting. Very, very eerie. I mean, yeah, I wasn't religious. I wasn't looking for this. I momish when I came, when I touched the wall, I could hear this. Well, what did it sound like? Oh, wow. It was, um, it was men singing, you know, the, the deep, you know, baritone voices singing together. Like and what? Very, very rhythmic with these drums beating. Interesting. Mm -hmm. My mother, as a fact, used to say when she would watch Western movies when they would have Indians that were you know beating the drums and singing and dancing. My mother said it sounded to her almost like Hasidic music. That there, are, you know, is a tremendous similarity. Well, yeah, I mean, Hasidim and Nagunim are very interesting parts of Judaism, I think, when it comes to the, the musical side of it. It does sound like it's like almost like a chant to get mm -hmm. into a mindset. You know? But I but I wonder, I wonder how like how much of the music from the base of Mikdash actually was able to be preserved and from generations was actually has actually able been has actually survived as um 
some of maybe the Hasidic nigunim that we are, you know, seeing today or maybe offshoots of it. Maybe, maybe. By the way, uh, there was something very interesting they were discussing on the radio. Um, they were talking about, remember we, we touched on this before about frequencies causing certain emotions. They said that, um, I don't know if some scientists researched this, found that there's a certain frequency 111 hertz that that frequency causes people to meditate in other words if you sing at that frequency or you hear that frequency it actually causes meditation and they said that there are some uh like eastern groups who are into meditation that will actually that will hum at that particular frequency interesting that's really cool it was a, you know, like we said, um, when you read about the base of Mikdash and it talks about the, you know, the colors that were actually certain colors that they had, that the Kohanim had to wear and that, and certain metals, like precious, like gold, silver, copper, and that these metals and these colors actually caused certain spiritual energies to be brought down. So the same thing I'm sure could be said of music frequencies, that the Levium, why did the Levium sing certain songs for certain carbonos? Why it, and why at that pitch? Why not, you know, why can't everything be in the key of C? Why do we have all these different keys? So each key that you sing must do something to either evoke certain emotions or to bring down certain spiritual energies. They can think of no other logical explanation. There, <clears throat> there could be something. You know, if you dig hard enough, you look hard enough, if you try to look in some kind of angle, I think you could see something. So anyway, so after, you know, then um, after you know, my, my, uh, my years in Crown Heights were very nice, you know, to the, the Torah learning, um, going to the upbringings of the Lubavitcher Rebbe, I felt very, you know, felt very interesting. I really enjoyed, I enjoyed the community in Crown Heights. People cared. And uh, my mother one time said to me when I was on a home, when I was visiting her, uh, my family, she says, why do you want to live in such a Yentishtika community, <laughs> Jewish Yentishtika community where everyone knows your business? And I said, Ma, I said, people there care. It's better than here in the suburbs. You can, if you live alone, you could die and nobody would even know, except that they would call the police and saying that there's some horrible smell was coming from your house. I told her, I said, in fact, there was a couple of days that I was sick and I was home. And when I came to Shul, a lot of people came up to me and said, where were you? We didn't see you for a couple of days. So they were concerned. Yeah. What I, what I found, um, I guess I think what the hard part, the hard part was, um, Okay, when I got old, as I got older, the dating scene. Mm. <laughs> I had to tell you. <laughs> yeah, that's always a, that's always a crapshoot. I mean, you know, guys that you liked that didn't like you, guys who liked you that you didn't like them, and uh, some guys that nice guys, just not my type. Um, some guys like what was the what must the shock them to think of me that they matched me up to this lunatic. Jeez. <laughs> and I was like, like, what the heck? <laughs> Who was in left field? You know? 
And so that was, um, that, that aspect of it, you know, could prove to be difficult. Although I went out on some dates that were really very, very nice, very magical. Like uh, one young man I dated took me on the, um, the cable car ride to Roosevelt Island at okay. night. Oh, that was beautiful. Riding in that cable car at night over to this, and this Roosevelt Island is like, it's like a Mukhoa Muchnik book. It's like houses. I'm not kidding. It's like when you open up a Mukhoa Muchnik book and you see the little, the little houses, and the cute little towns. That's exactly what Roosevelt Island looked like. It was, it was like, you know, I can't believe that people actually live there and have lives because it's like, it's like a fantasy world over there, the way the houses and the, you know, outlay of the community. And then there was one night date I went on, which we walked under this water tunnel. There was this like, there was this like these moving sidewalks and you went under this tunnel that was, it was plexiglass and above you was water and fish. And it was very, very magical. That was very, that was a lot of fun. That date was a lot of fun. Okay. And then, you know, of course, um, it's so funny with every stage of the game, like I remember feeling like, when I graduated college and all this academic pressure was over, oh, I'm finally gonna be able to relax. I don't have the pressure of papers and midterms and studying. And then I, you know, then you've discovered in the working world or even in marriage with, you know, raising kids and having a household that in the academic world, at least you have your, you have your pressure of getting the papers and, you know, everything in on time. But once that is done, once you're, once your exams are finished, once those papers are in, whoa, you have like, you know, a whole like summer or whatever, at least a couple of months, you could just kick back and relax and have fun and not have to, you know, worry, worry about too much. Whereas once you graduate, it's not as much pressure, but it's like, there's no let up. The house has to be clean. Your groceries have to be bought. The kids have to be taken care of. Um, bills have to be paid. So it's like, yeah, again, it's, you know, like, it's like pressure. But the good aspects of that is um, I, I enjoyed um, raising you children very, very much. I enjoyed, you know, reading to you, playing music with you guys, singing, you know, the stories, the songs I made up for you guys. I really enjoyed very much. I enjoyed, you know, and thank God I'm a teacher because there were many, many times, you know, when you and your brothers and sisters needed help academically. And Brooke Hashem, um, I was able to sit and actually work with you and actually help you guys. You know, my, my teacher training really kicked in and um, saved, us, saved us thousands of dollars in private tutors. Yeah. There was only one time I enlisted the help of a tutor. What happened was your, one of your older sisters failed the um, Hebrew readiness test for going into middle school. And okay. the principal, you know, called me and told me, listen, she failed the readiness test. So I said, look, I said, um, he says, you've got, he said, over the summer, you know, get a tutor, have somebody work with her and we'll retest her a few weeks before the next semester. Fine. I hired this high school girl. I said, listen, you really need to work with my daughter on Chomish. Fine. The, this tutor, I paid her. I paid this high school girl. She worked with her the entire summer. 
She comes and says she fails. He says, the principal calls me. She did not know a thing. What? I go, what? I said, she worked the entire summer. So I called up the tutor. I said, what happened? She failed the Hebrew readiness test for Chumash. And you know what this girl said to me? You wouldn't believe it. I could have strangled her. Good thing, it was, good thing the conversation was over the phone. That's all I got to say. This girl says to me, oh, you wanted me to work with her on Hebrew? I was doing the whole thing in English. Oh, my gosh. I, I, that's why, oh. that's why, like, in my line of work and in general, I don't care if I look like an idiot. I always double, triple check and ask stupid questions of, hey, are we supposed to do this? You know, it's like, like surgeons actually have this thing where they, they double check the day of the surgery to go, to go like, well, what are we focusing on? What are we doing? Let's just clarify, like always mm -hmm. double, triple check. And I guess it's just like you have to be on top of them. You can't just you, you right. can't just set it up. I and assume like, drive. I said chomesh, chomesh. You know, I figured she yo chomesh. You know, you, you read it in Hebrew, you translate it in English, you look at yeah. the Rashi. So anyway, so what I did was did you get a refund. So I, no, forget. I said forget. I was just so disgusted. I just wanted this. I just hung up the phone. I wanted this girl. I wanted this girl away from me as soon as, 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 as humanly. I want as much distance between me and her for her own safety as humanly possible. So what I did was I called the principal. I said, let me work with my daughter. Um, this was Thursday. From mm -hmm. now till Monday, you test her again on Monday. I sat down. I came up with a list of the major vocabulary words that everybody needs in Chomesh. And I grilled her on it and grilled her on it and grilled. Her. And we, we, we went it over and over and over again. We, you know, just reviewed and reviewed, reviewed. Baruch Hashem, Monday morning, she passed the test. Okay. I did in four days what that bratty kid could not do in two months. How old was the kid? I think she was like 17, maybe. Oh, 18, God. 17, about 17. Yeah, she was, I think, going into her senior year. I mean, I never imagined in all my life that when you tell somebody she needs help in Chumash, that somebody would do an entire thing in English. It's I whatever. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's just ridiculous. <laughs> my gosh. All right. So yeah, continue. You were saying. Okay. Anyway, so um. Anyway. So, you know, like I said, every stage has its, you know, it's good, it's, it's good aspects and those things that, you know, are pressuresome. And um, I say, uh, now, Baruch Hashem, you know, retirement years. Um, I'm supposed to be retired. I'm still working. <laughs> I'm still, uh, you know, I still work in uh, the preschool and I still do. As a matter of fact, I've I, I babysat today, um, like kind of an emergency situation where um, this 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 lady I know um had had to be out of town and has young kids, and she has a housekeeper. The housekeeper got sick, so um, she called me and says, "Please, please, you know, I'm, I need to be out of town. Can you please, you know, come in and uh, you know, help me with the house and the kids?" I said, "Sure, no problem." So that's what I that's what I did today, and. Uh, it was nice, you know, working with, it's nice working with little kids again. And I read, I read this little boy a lot of stories. And um, I was, um, I went on YouTube to look up Alafay songs. 
And you know, of all the out of phase songs that are out there, Debbie, Debbie Friedman's, uh, that is the best one. Oh yeah? But by far, that, that's the most popular and it's the best one that's out there. That's the one you know, I live that, that, I live that, that, Gimbledon Hey. They had a whole thing with a cartoon mm-hmm. of her song, of her singing her song, but they put it to a cartoon. And with a with a band, with a band accompanying her. Yeah. It sounded really nice. I think she she passed away in 2011. I I think I heard something about that. I heard, I heard she had MS. Oh wow. But that was what she achieved. I mean, she played guitar. Um, this I I um she played guitar amazingly. Mm-hmm. She was quite a musician. And uh, as a matter of fact, I came across an entire music book of um, Jewish songs that she'd composed. That's cool. It was enough to make up an entire book. Yeah. That's awesome. So what I'm enjoying about my golden years. Yes. I'm enjoying my senior citizen discounts every place I go. (laughs) That's advantageous. Especially especially my my trip to Barcelona. That was great. Almost every place I went had senior citizen discount. Yeah, and um, I'm also in. You know, I'm I'm enjoying in a way. Um, someone said to me that uh, I that she saw my video of me taking the boat excursion mm-hmm. in the lake there by um, La Gran Plaza in uh, Barcelona, and she said to me, "You look. You had a smile on your face. You looked so free and happy." Like in a certain way, like I guess your senior years have the advantages is that you, you know, you don't have the obligations. Well, not necessarily obligation, but you know, your kids are grown pretty much self-sufficient. You, you know, you don't have to, let's put it this way, you shouldn't have to worry about them, but uh, I still do. <laughs> yeah. And there are occasions when, you know, like when, you know, as you know, like some of your sisters have given birth and they've called, they said, hey, they, you know, they, they need me to come up to, to help them for a few weeks while they're recuperating. Sure. So, you know, I enjoy doing that. I also, I also enjoy the, um, in a way, like the freedom to be able to, like, <laughs> go to the store without having to put a kid in the car seat and try and pull up. And take the kids out of the car seat and out of the car and put them in the shopping cart and making your little shopping trip twice as long as it would have been otherwise. <laughs> that was when, like, as you as your kids got older, I remember the like the first time in many, many years I was able actually to pull the car up to the store, go and do my shopping, come out, put the groceries in the car, come home <laughs> without having to worry about taking. Now, what do I do first? Do I take the groceries out? first and have the kids sitting at least they're strapped to their seats and at least they know they're safe or do I take them out first and then try to figure out how to bring in the groceries while they're running loose oh god but then there was that time with your sister Pesci yeah she was a baby she was so little she was so thin and so little I was carrying this big pocketbook so as I I had her in the car seat. I brought in all the groceries. At least, at least you bring it in. What you do is you usually bring it in to the house 
at least into the living room. So that way you can close and lock the door so the kids can't, the little ones can't run out. You could, you know, take your time then putting it in the kitchen and organizing them. So I had the groceries in, yeah, and you know, and the advantage too about putting it in the living room is you want to keep your eye on the car too, because you've got your, your kid in the car seat. So I come back out and I had one more bundle of groceries in my arm and I had my pocketbook and I said, hey, she was so thin and little, I bet she would fit. I took her out of the car seat. I put her in my pocketbook. I didn't zipper it up. It was unzippered. Don't worry. I put her in my, I sat her in my pocketbook and I was able to bring the last bundle of groceries with her in my pocketbook into the car and one out of the car and the house in one trip. Oh, well. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> yes. You're probably, you're probably wondering to yourself, um, how is it that I was able to uh, make it to adulthood? <laughs> yeah, I, I always, I, I always find piece. it funny. Exactly, exactly. I still feel like I'm a little kid, like I'm like still 18, 20, and I'm realizing I'm 34. I'm like, oh God. Everything just. So, so are these the best years of your life in certain respects? In certain aspects, I would say it's a very good part of my life. The best years of my life, it's like at least the way I see it right now, my perspective can change, things can change. But I would say my two years in Israel were the best. It was just everything was on. Like I was making my own decisions. I was doing my own thing. Um, social life was just top notch. Um, school life, everything that I had going on just was just going up and up and up and up. But, you know, that's just kind of how life happens where, you know, it just, it comes to an end. And that's for me is more like, well, I had, that I got, went into college and I got my master's and I went, became an adult and I had my own life. But like that chance to really, I guess, feel free and feel like the world, you know, is my oyster kind of thing. Um, that was it. That was it. I don't. I don't feel that way right now. I don't. I don't think I'll ever feel that way. But I'm okay with it, though. That's the thing. I'm not like miserable about it or depressed about it. I'm okay with it. You know, I'm not like complaining. I'm not saying, "Oh, I should have done what." It's just that this is part of life. This is the part where it's just like you just have to, you know, maintain that that steady, you know, plane ride, and that's it. You know. If that makes like any I was, sense. I know what you're talking about. It's like what I said before about <laughs> at least in college, you have, you know, you you have your times for fun. Yeah. Like, you know, the this is over. And one day Emperor Emperor uh, thinking to myself, oh a while back, that you know, now that my I guess the bit, you know, taking care of your father was a very, very strange, busy part of my life. Taking mm -hmm. care of somebody, you know, who's, who's suffering from, uh, you know, from a disease and is going downhill. And I remember thinking to myself um, around that time, I was reminiscing in college about how, how there were times that I had fun. And I said to myself, what is it? Have I forgotten how to have fun? What am I doing in my life for fun? 
And I thought, you know something? I, I think I'm not doing anything for fun. Everything is just busy, busy, busy. And I thought, you know, I really need to think about that. About just think, you know, just doing something for just doing something for fun. Yeah. And I think like when we get into the, you know, we get into the busy part of our life, you know, working, raising a family, having a household. I think we kind of, whereas before that it was a set time, you know, exams are over, you know, the, you know, the pressure's over, now it's time for fun. Whereas yeah. you have at this point, your life is not, you have to kind of structure your life yourself and you have to make time yourself for fun. It's like I was talking to um, um, my and my sister and I were talking about retirement. And mm-hmm. she said one of the hard things about retirement was for her that now there was no out extraneous structure of getting up, going to a job, coming home, making dinner, maybe watching a little TV or being involved in a hobby and then going to bed and waking up and doing it all over again is now that she's retired she has to come up with her own structure and her own organization like organize her life now by herself be create like she has to be creative and think of ways to organize her life and she said she found that's you know that was a challenge interesting okay well thank you everybody for listening thank you Emma uh for having this wonderful conversation and i will see you god willing i don't know in in about a month a month yeah wait a second where are you going next thursday are you going to be you're not going to be in new york you're in florida in a month we're going to be in both going to be in canada oh oh when i thought you said see me i thought you meant um on a pot on the podcast no, 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 no. Jeez, Louise. All right. Okay. Hey, wait a minute. Wait. Did, I, did I miss something? No. Above is, when's Tishabub? Not. I think, is it the Sunday after next? August 7th, is it the I Sunday? think, is. Yeah. Oh, yeah. so let me see. So it's, it's, when's Rosh Chodesh? Um, I don't know. I, I, I'm, I, I don't know. In like 10, day, 10 days, maybe? Uh, da, 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 da. I'm gonna look at my trusty calendar and we're gonna end the podcast okay, <laughs> okay right. love you love you darling bye-bye right, bye-bye thank you for listening to this week's episode you can find us on youtube and facebook at jewish boy calls his mother i know you would like it and my mother would too